Dear Heavenly Father, once again on a Sunday morning, we come before you. We're thankful for each one in attendance. And yet, Lord, we ask that we would be able to worship you this morning with the singing of these grand old hymns. Lord, songs that have been dedicated specifically to your worship and to your honor and to your glory. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to sing to our best ability to your honor. Lord, we pray for the preaching. We pray that not only would I have freedom to bring forth the message you've laid upon my heart, but each of us here would be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God that we could truly hear and understand. And Lord, that our spiritual eyes would be open to see the great truths that are in your word. We pray for the time of invitation that we would willingly surrender what is already yours. That's everything we are. We pray for the offering. We pray for each part of this service that your name would be lifted up and glorified. We, Lord, our prayer is that our lives would be changed today that we could bring more glory to you through this coming week by the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning to turn to Psalm 4610. This is a, a theme that we have picked for the year, and uh, we want to keep this verse in mind. If there's anything that we face, it, it is dealt with by a proper knowledge of who God is and what He would have us to do. And Psalm 4610 simply says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Being still sometimes is very, very difficult to do. Uh, I guess uh, one of my favorite little sayings I picked up over the years, one in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. It doesn't get anything done, but it gives you something to do, right? And uh, sometimes doing something could actually be the worst thing that you could do. How many of you have ever been there? When you've gotten into far more trouble doing something than being still. And the Bible tells us here that it's not just being still that's the solution. He says, be still and know that I am God. And uh, last year we spent quite a bit of time. Uh, our, our theme was the just shall live by, does anybody remember the word? His faith. Amen. Uh, that faith has got to be personal out of the book of Habakkuk. It can't be your grandmother's faith or your mother's faith or or your father's, or your brother or sister, or your husband or wife. It's got to be your personal faith. And one of the themes that uh, the Lord has just put on my heart over the last several years, and and, uh, if you stick around very long, you'll hear me talking about it, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The Bible teaches us about the Bible. Uh, far better than any book that any man has ever written. If you want to understand the Bible, you've got to study the Bible. 
And so I'd like to take a very familiar passage of Scripture, one I've preached on many times, but uh, I just want to put it on a different slant today. And if you want a title that'll kind of tell you where we're headed, it's Being Still and Knowing God Through the Eyes of the Prodigal. And I want us to turn to Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. And we're not only going to deal with the prodigal son. And if you really want to understand this parable that Jesus has given us, don't put your main attention on the sons. Put your attention on the father. The father in this story is the important Person, He is the most important person because he represents God. He shows us about God. And so, let's just take the, the time this morning and read through this passage. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read the whole way to 32, the end of the chapter. It says, And he, talking about Jesus, And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he, the father, divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he, the citizen of that country, sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he, the prodigal son, would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he, the prodigal, came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he, the servant, said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. 
And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou hast yet thou never gavest me a kid that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he, the father, said unto him, Son, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And all God's people said, Jesus was the great storyteller. He used these parables to illustrate a truth. And one of the things that I always love to bring out about Jesus' parable is he only told the parable once. But in the audience, there were those that believed on him and those that hated him and were trying to destroy him. And with the very same words, at the very same time, those that believed on him, he drew them closer and gave them a greater understanding of who he is. And those that hated him, he infuriated them and filled them with wrath and added to their confusion and literally drew the one group that believed in him closer at the very same time he was pushing those away that hated him and refused to believe on him. I want to challenge you. Jesus' parables are not comparable to any other stories that we have. Don't compare them to Aesop's fables. And, and uh, If you've ever read Aesop's fables, oh my. Uh, it just uh, takes a great deal of effort to put up with them. And, and the fairy tales and all. Don't compare what Jesus did to anything by, done by any other person. Jesus' parables were to give us insight. And what I want us to do is I want us to start with the Father... The father had two sons. Now, what Jesus was trying to illustrate in this story, if you follow the context, was lost things. I want to challenge you that not only was the younger son, the one we call the prodigal, the one, (coughs) excuse me, who wasted his entire fortune on riotous living, But the elder son was just as lost. And they were both living in the father's house. Separated from the father's love. You see, that's the world in which we live. One of the phrases that never fails to irritate me when I hear, Oh, we're all God's children. No, we are not. You are not God's children until you are born into God's family. Our sin has separated us. And you must understand this. Or the story uh, of of the father and the sons, uh, what we often call the story of the prodigal, you're, you're going to miss the entire purpose that Jesus was trying to do here. 
I want to challenge you that neither son was still. The younger son was busy conniving and planning and dreaming of the time that he would be set free from his father's rules and could go out and live life the way he wanted. The older son was working and laboring because if you've ever been around a farm, there's always work to do. Someone, one of my kids once, what does the farmer do in the wintertime when the crops are harvested? And I said, that's the time when the real work begins. Because if you don't repair the equipment and, and keep things going and make plans for the spring, let me tell you, there won't be a harvest the next year. There's much, much work, always work to do. And the elder son had gotten a hold of this and he was working diligently If you don't take care of the animals, if you don't take care of the ground, if you don't take care of everything that is on that farm, you're going to lose things during the harvest time in the next year. It is constant labor. The older son got a hold of that. If we're going to have a good farm, if we're going to have things in the future, if we're going to have things that we need and we're going to keep the prosperity that God has given us, we're going to have to work. And so he was working. By the way, you don't sit still and rest when you're working. And so the elder son was working. The younger son was looking for every opportunity he could to shirk the work. He's going to find some place and read the travel catalogs. And, 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 uh, browse the internet for the best deals on, uh, houses in, uh, French Riviera or whatever the equivalent was in those days. And finally, the younger son gets up enough courage and he goes to the father and he says, Dad, I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance. I'd like it now. now that's pretty obnoxious, isn't it? That's rude, disrespectful, isn't it? It isn't it amazing that the father gave him what he asked for. Gave him. He, it says, and he divided unto them his living. And so... You could imagine on this day that the father went through and the elder son is sitting there looking and, Dad, what are you doing here? Your younger brother has asked to receive the portion of his inheritance now and I'm going to honor your younger brother's request and I'm going to give him his portion out of the inheritance. Now, the way it normally worked was the... Um, eldest son who had the responsibility of taking care of the parents, he would get two-thirds of the estate. That way that he would get a portion for himself and then he would have another portion to uh, take care of his parents and make sure that they had what they needed. And so, as they divided the living, 
He's giving all of these things to his elder son. This is yours. He said, it's going to be your responsibility because I'm turning over the ownership of everything to my sons. And the younger son, you could just see the dollar signs. Cha-ching! Boy, that's going to fetch a good price at the market. Wow, I'm going to be able to turn that into cash. And the father would say, now I'm going to give you this portion of land over here. And and the son was going, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want that. I, that's going to be hard to sell. He said, I, I, would you have something a little smaller that might be worth a little more? That, and and uh, so there was, I'm sure there was some haggling going on. And the elder son is disgusted by this whole thing. Because he has no intention of taking possession of what his father is giving him while his father is still alive. That's not tradition. It's not the way things are done. You know, I want to challenge you. The father was dividing unto them his living. He was giving these things to the elder son as well as the younger. And we know what the younger son did. It says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. You could just see how ridiculous this boy looked as he's loading everything and tying the sheep to the cart or whatever he had to do. He was going. That's not being still now, is it? He was going to see the world. He was going to know what the world had to offer. And I love the way our Bible is. It deals with very, what could be licentious and risque and dirty topics, whatever adjective you want to use, it deals with them very carefully so that we can read them. It says that he wasted It says, he wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, one of the stories, one of the reasons people love the story of the prodigal is because they love to think about the riotous living on which the prodigal wasted his money. Could I tell you that's the least important subject or part of this story? Let's, let's not dwell there. How expensive is it to live in New York City? If you want to live the, quote-unquote, high life, it's very, very expensive. Now, why you would pay $150 for a pair of jeans that somebody else has worn out three-quarters of the way before you get them? I, I don't understand that. I'm sorry. But that's the end thing. My, my favorite one, I don't know if they still do this, but is where they take one pant leg and fold it up. And they walk around with one pant leg folded up. And I'm just sitting here going, You know, I'm sorry, I'm I'm an old fuddy-duddy when it comes to that. If you want to be stupid, be my guest. 
But if you'd like some advice from an old preacher, don't advertise it, please. Don't tell everybody about it. And, and yet, they seem to come up with new and interesting ways to advertise the fact. When I was a kid in the barber shop, I've referred to this many times. There, there's a little sign behind the, one of the chairs. And it said, go ahead. Leave home. Pay all your own bills while you still know everything. <laughs> wow, that, that was good. And I'm reading that and I'm going, I don't know everything. And the barber said, that sign's not for you. But there are a lot of young people like the prodigal here. They're not going to sit still. They're not going to take time to learn about God. Because they want to experience what life has to offer. Recently, uh, I think it was under the Bloomberg administration, they ran an article, uh, a series of ads all through New York City. Uh, I, I think they finally had to take them down because of complaints about how sick they were. They were pictures of people with cancer. Uh, not people, but parts of people with cancer. And this is what cigarette smoking will do to you. And uh, they were trying to discourage. But how many of you remember the cigarette ads? They're always smiling people, frolicking. It's always the best of it. My favorite is the Marlboro Man. Sitting on a horse in a mountain stream. And I looked closely at the picture one time and he was filling his canteen in the water of the river. On the downstream side of the horse. Every bug, every bit of dirt in the horse was being carried downstream into his canteen. I'm sitting there. That's a good advertisement for smoking now, isn't it? So Finally, a little truth. I don't know how many people noticed that, but you could see the ripples in the water, and they were heading the wrong direction. And I thought, oh, man, yeah. Listen. The world always offers what it cannot give you. They always charge you for what they cannot deliver. The price is higher for what you think you're going to get. And yet, everything you buy from the world is filled with the same thing. Nothingness. You pay $300 an hour to pay a person to lie about you and tell you that all your problems are somebody else's fault. They call it psychiatry. And when that doesn't work, then they give you medicine to make you feel better. And when that doesn't work, they give you more medicine. I'll tell you something that works. You can't pay for this because it costs more than you can pay. That's why those words are behind me. It is finished because Jesus paid for this. It's the only place you can find forgiveness of sins and peace of mind. 
fought wars. Our nations of this world have fought wars to bring peace. And all they do is sow the seeds for the next war. Listen. The younger son needed to learn how to be still and know that I am God. And so God had to let him go through a process of divesting himself of every distraction that he had in this life. And so it wasn't long until he had spent all. And then there arose a mighty famine. Now, a famine is a time when food won't grow. You can plant the seeds in the ground, but you don't reap a harvest. Sometimes famines were through storms, sometimes through war, other times through pestilence. In the early days of this country in the Midwest, we would have Bands of locusts or grasshoppers that would go through and they would just literally eat the crops to the ground. And then they planted seed, they planted the uh, next year's hatchlings in the ground. And as spring came and the first uh, roots of the next year began to grow, the next generation would hatch and destroy everything the second year before it marched on. And people died of starvation right here in this country because they couldn't grow food. And that's what happened here. Preacher once preached a sermon I heard on famine. He said, famine makes things that are absolutely valuable under normal circumstances worthless. Gold is worthless when there's no food to buy with it. And food that would end up in the garbage can is all of a sudden much more precious than the gold that we used to value so highly because it will at least keep you alive another day. Here was a Jewish boy sent in the field to feed the pigs. Now, how could you get any lower than that? And it says, He fain would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Now, agriculturalists will tell you that the pig is really one of God's most ingenious inventions because you can take garbage and make bacon out of it. You can feed a pig food that would make you ill. And get the crowning feast of your ham dinner. The only thing on a pig that's not edible is the oink and the curl in its tail. Everything else you can buy on the grocery market. But there's one thing that you got to understand with pigs. You don't ever come between a pig and dinner or lunch, breakfast. If there's food, 
Keep your hands out of the way. Because the pig wouldn't mind a couple of fingers right there in the midst of whatever else it's eating. And so that's why that old-fashioned word feign is used there. That meant under normal circumstances this would be absolutely crazy. But here's this young man dreaming, wishing that he was fast enough or strong enough or could stomach the food that the pigs ate. He was jealous watching the pigs eat. Now that takes you pretty far down. But let me ask you a question. If you're watching the pigs eat, are you being still? That was the first step. For the prodigal to be still. He had to be still. Could I challenge you from the story of the prodigal that God will do what it takes to get you to stop if you'll just let him. You might not like it and I would hope and pray that you would listen to God long before you get where the prodigal son got. But God will take you there if it's necessary because he's got to get you to stop. You know, the one thing that we do not do, the one thing that we do not train our young people to do in public education system is to think. Oh, but they know how to use everything in the whole wide world. I mean, my my kids can do more with their thumbs than I can with my entire body. Well, could I challenge you that... These things do not require thought process. In fact, if we'll let them, they'll do our thinking for us. How many of you can do column addition in your head? Uh, That's a skill you ought not lose. And if you've never attained it, you, you ought to learn how to look at five or six numbers and add them in your head. Yet double columns wouldn't hurt. Oh my. The one thing we do not do today is we don't think. And I want to challenge you that most of the time you cannot think without sitting still. We love to favor ourselves. Uh, <clears throat> I'm multitasking. Now, be honest, how many of you multitask? I do. You know what multitasking really is? It's an excuse for doing several things lousy at the same time. That's what multitasking really is. Because if you're going to do something well, what do you have to do? Concentrate. You know that learning or practicing a musical instrument is one of the greatest disciplines in this life. And you've got to work at it. I was doing very well until Bill Clinton became president. And then I stuck my saxophone in the case 
And, and it's just been hard to recoup all those years because every time I get out, oh, you play like Bill Clinton? No. Bam. Close the case and lock it up. Uh, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I want my saxophone to be for Jesus. And unfortunately, I overreacted in trying to practice now. After all those years of not practicing, let me tell you, uh, stand on your head and spit nickels, whatever you want to put. It's tough. To be still and to think. And look how the Bible puts it. There's, there's a reason Jesus used this, these words. Verse 17. And when he came to himself. And when he finally woke up, when he was finally still enough to look around and see where his plan of life had taken him, where his aspirations had provided for him. You know, sometimes I, I in, in order to help people see things, I'll, I'll ask some questions. Uh, how is that working in your life? You, you tell me you planned these things and you chose this pathway. How does that work for you? And normally they don't want to answer. So I, have, I said, the reason you're here in my office is because it's not working out very well and you need some help. Let's be honest here today. What's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. How many of you say, Pastor, I like you qualify for insane, yeah? Because we do that all the time, don't we? How many of you looked in the same drawer twice for the same thing? And then you find it the third time. Now, what does that say? In the drawer, by the way. That says you're in real trouble. Well, the prodigal son came to himself. And he realized that his life plan wasn't working. All those things that he thought he would have, he doesn't have anything In fact, he lost more than he ever thought he could lose. And he finally says, I can't be a son anymore. I'll I'll be one of my dad's servants. Isn't that... Do you see that that's just more pride? How many of you see that? Would you just raise a hand? That it's just more pride. Well, I'll pay for what I've done. Uh, I'm not good enough to be a son anymore, but I could be a servant. That's just another backwards way of promoting yourself. But he finally, even with his backwards pride strapped on, he still goes home. He had finally been still enough to know that there is a God and it wasn't him. He was still enough to understand that there was a pathway to life 
that did better than his. And it was connected with the father's house. And so he went back home. I love this next verse. I hope you can see in your mind the picture that is painted here. And he arose and came to his father. And here he is emancipated, 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 excuse me, I'll pronounce that word right eventually, by sin. Dressed in rags, smelling like the pig pen. Staggering down the road with no shoes on his feet. But you see, somebody had been looking for him every day since he'd left. And look what it says. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, could you imagine the prodigal as he's staggering down the road and he's starting to have second thoughts? Maybe I ought to try again. Do I really have to go home? Do I have to humble myself to that man? He looks up and there comes that old man running. I don't know if you've ever seen an old man run, but it's quite a pathetic thing. God never designed old men to run. I know some of these guys run marathons and things, but this guy was hobbling, and but he was moving as fast as he could, and he ran up to that boy, and he hugged him, and he wept, and he kissed him. Imagine he had to wipe the soot off his lips. Because of how dirty and filthy his son was. And the son, you could see him saying, Now, Dad, Dad, don't get so emotional. I've got a speech prepared. Now, he didn't say that, but he tried to tell him his speech. and, and, And he said, And the son said, And Father, I have sinned against heaven and against and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father wasn't listening. He wasn't even looking in the son's direction. Because the servants of the house had seen the father take off, and they had followed with him. And he turns to one, he says, I want the best robe in the house. I want a ring for his finger. I want shoes for his feet. And by the way, all of those things demanded a good, hot bath first. And another one, he said, prepare the banquet. We're going to rejoice. We're going to have a a day off. We're going to have a party today to celebrate my son coming home. Now, if you were the son, walking up dressed, in rags, stinking like the pigs, knowing you've been where you've been and done the things you've done, is the last thing you want people staring at you and shaking your hand and welcoming you home? Now, see, it would have been so easy for him to crawl off in a corner somewhere and just be a servant. 
But see, the Father's not going to let His love be diminished like that. You have to remember, the Father in this story represents God. He's not going to allow us to play down His love. He wants to put His love on display like He did at the city of Jericho with Rahab the harlot. Amen? If you've been there in the Sunday school time, we've been through that story the past couple of weeks. God wanted to put His love, the Father put His love on display. He propped this boy up. He was the guest of honor. He was seated at the head of the table and everybody there was going, I know what you did. I know how rude and... Could I challenge you that the only thing the son could do at this point was be still. He couldn't say anything. He couldn't do anything. Let me ask you. Have you ever been still long enough to understand the love that God really has for you? Because we have the elder son in this story. And I want to challenge you that he was just as estranged from the father's love as the younger son was. The younger son thought he would flaunt God's love. He would take all the goodness that God gave him and expend it upon himself. And he finds himself the guest of honor at the table as everybody is staring at him. And everybody is rejoicing that he's home and they can't believe. By by the way, do you think the son was under some obligation to abide by the rules of the house at this point? Hello? Could we say amen to that? You see, that's why God expects us to live a little differently after we've come home than when we were living out in the world? Is that so hard to understand? Isn't that beautifully pictured here in this story? You can't wear the clothes of the world and be the son of the Father. You cannot enjoy the music of the world while the music and the rejoicing of the Father is going on at the same time. You can't enjoy the pleasures of the world living in the Father's house because He doesn't allow them there. Amen? The things that destroyed His life are no longer present. And yet the elder son, He never lost everything. It was always there. And I want you to see as the father goes out and addresses the elder son who, who refuses to even come into the house while the younger son is there. Verse 28 says, He was angry and would not go in. And verse 29, the elder son says, that, lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. 
And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with thy friends. Now look at verse 31. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. You see, the elder son was so busy working for what was already his that he had no time to enjoy it. And he would not enjoy it because he felt he had to earn it. You see, Jesus was speaking to a world. The Jewish world was his preaching. And the Jewish world was divided up into two basic groups. In the Bible, you'll see the Pharisees, the publicans, and the sinners. The Pharisees were the super religious ones. The publicans and the sinners, the publicans were the tax collectors, the traitors for Rome that had sold out their own people to collect taxes for Rome. By the way, that was a good paying job. The sinners were the people who didn't care about the law of God. That's where the younger son was. The older son was represented by the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, the priests. Jesus was trying to teach them that all were lost. And the reason the elder son could not know God and know his love is because he was too busy working for it. You know, if I belonged to, if I believed in a God that demanded me to earn my salvation, would there be any peace in that kind of relationship? How good is good? How many good things do you have to do to pay for the bad things that you've already done, let alone for the bad things you're going to do? What about the bad things you do while you're trying to do something good? Your life is going to be a total turmoil. You'll never have any answers. That's why the vast majority of religious organizations will tell you, you come and you'll be a part and maybe someday nobody can know for sure. It's amazing, even the Calvinists who believe that uh, once you're saved, you cannot be lost. They have finally come to the conclusion several years back that you can't know that you're saved because you don't know if you're an elect or not because you had nothing to do with your salvation. Well, we, we have a word for that. It's called sophistry. It's arguing about the air. You see, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that ye may what? Know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. See, the elder son wouldn't be still. He wouldn't stop and think beyond the labor of his own hands He had earned all this. No, he had not. It had been given to him by the Father. In fact, 
He had two-thirds of the estate. The younger son only had a third. He had much more to work with. And he wouldn't go in because the younger son, he's just sitting there going, I don't deserve this. You know what? Do you remember when you first understood that you were saved? Do you think you deserve salvation? Do you think you deserve that Jesus died on the cross for you? We don't deserve that. We deserve an eternal torment in a place called hell. But you see, the Father's love is so fantastic and so beyond measure and so beyond comprehension that He sent His Son Jesus to pay the price for my sins on the cross. And if I'll stop trying to experience all that life has to offer and be still, And accept God's love and His salvation for me. I'm welcomed into the home as the guest of honor. Oh, I don't deserve it. But that's where He puts me. You know what? I am sure that the younger son was having one of the most uncomfortable days of his entire life. Until he said, I'll I'll just let dad be dad. I'm just going to let him love me. I'm going to stop trying to be anything. See, this is what we mean by surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ. He doesn't need you, He doesn't need your abilities, He doesn't need your talents. He wants you to be still and accept His love. The greatest love in all the universe. And if you'll be still and think about how much God loved you, you won't ever have to worry about wanting to be obedient to Him. You won't have to worry about how weird the rest of the world thinks of you. I love that old hymn, I'm a child of the King. Because Jesus is my Savior. I'm a child of the King. And He loves me, and He knows me, and He... I love the way my pastor said it. He knows everything about me. And He still loves me. When the son stopped trying to think of how he was going to pay back dad for everything that he had done, how that he was going to make things right that he couldn't make right, when he finally surrendered and enjoyed the love of the father, that's when the younger son found peace. And he was able to share in the rejoicing of those. The elder son... Never found it, at least not in our story, because he was too busy 
working for it. He was too busy trying to earn it. He was too concerned about all that he had given up. He said, I never transgressed your commandment. You never gave me just one little kid so I could have a party with my friends. Uh, Excuse me. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. He divided unto them his living. Everything was his. He refused to use what God had given him because he was too busy trying to earn it. And that's why a lot of people are going to miss the glories of heaven. Because they're too busy trying to earn God's love. Because they'll never be like the younger son. I'll tell you, until you're willing to sit still and let the Father do His work His way, you cannot be saved. Oh, it's uncomfortable at first. But once you understand and enjoy and live in the love of the Father, there is no place better to be. And you see, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Have you done that? Both were out of their Father's will while they were still living in the house. Took quite a process for the younger son to finally sit still long enough to understand God's love, the Father's love. But he made it. The elder son never made that journey. He had everything there was. But he never learned to live in the love of the Father. I want to challenge you today. We're going to take just a very short time, a few moments, and try to be still. We'll have the piano play. and If you need to slip out of your seat, you can come down here to an old-fashioned altar and just spend a few moments of stillness before the Lord. I hope and pray that wouldn't be the only time this week. But we need to know and understand God's love. It's the answer for every problem we face. Let's stand together and if you need to come, now is the time.